Connection. Welcome back to the Roots the Aggressive Podcast, episode 55. I'm, of course, Jake, your host here as we go through the ruthless aggression era of WWE. We're now in the year 2003. Uh, let me bring in my guest on this one. He's a returning guest, although it's been a while. Um, he is a, a connoisseur, an expert, I would say, in all things wrestling, and that is uh, uh, Mr. Ryan Everett. What's going on, Ryan? Hey, how's it going? Good to be here. Yeah, it was, it was actually just about a year ago that I recorded, uh, I think it was the night after Unforgiven. Wow. So um, quite a bit of change here. So yes. l- yeah. let's go with this. Since you, you've been on before, and I've just gotten into your 2003, because I feel like getting 2003 is where I'm getting more into a time frame that I am maybe not as – like 2002, I, I always said it as I was going through it. I remembered most of it decently well. Where 2003, yeah. I feel like we're going to start getting into more of a blind spot. If I were to tell you, now I know you, there aren't many blind spots for you as far as <laughs> wrestling. But if I were to say 2003 WWE, like you can go free association here. What, what comes to mind? Uh, taking much, much less of an interest in especially <laughs> Raw. I mean, right. you know, in like we'll see the show that we watched. I think it was underwhelming and i think that's kind of just you know listening to you get your show and how guests are talking it just seems like every week like they have talented guys there but they're just not mixing them with who they should be mixing with i guess is the best way to put it right the more i think about it um raw at least at this time it's sort of because they are in a bit of a rebuilding phase and i think 2003 is when they really start to get into the rebuilding as as we'll get into on in these episodes we have a few big names coming back for mania season but it's been going to become pretty soon they're really going to get into this this completely new phase where i really think we're going to fully be in the ruthless aggression era where yeah. they're really starting to build around different guys 
And um, it kind of reminds me, I know uh, Chad and, and JT talk about it a lot and as they're at 96 WWE and trying to figure out, you know, they're kind of in this rebuilding phase and when does it really start to pick up? And like similar to what you just said, like at 1996 WWE, like they have the guys, they're just still trying to figure out exactly how to piece it together. And we know in that time frame. Where, they, yeah. Right, right. And so I feel like Raw is kind of in that. And then I think sometimes it's a bit of laziness, but yeah, it's kind of something going through these that's kind of come to fruition. Like one of the things, like going through this, I always say I'm trying to keep an open mind about it, not kind of fall back on the, um, how do you say that? Like the, um, what's kind of become the reputation is, is right. like, yeah. well, was the Triple H title reign really that bad? Was Raw really that bad? And so far, both of those things <laughs> kind of, <laughs> they've kind of, I mean, if I'm being fair, I think they kind of earned their reputation a bit. Yeah, I would say so. Right. But uh, anyway, if you want to get into it, we'll um, we'll start with the news. I have a few news pieces here. Most of these are things we already know, but I think it's just interesting to kind of frame where we are. Um, so our first bit of news is regarding The Rock. According to an article by someone, so of course I get these from old, old Dave in the, uh, yeah. in the newsletter. But it says, according to an article by someone using the pseudonym Jake T, which I was fine. Jake T Icon, maybe so I should start going by. No, Jake <laughs> T Icon. Uh, who does a regular column in the the wrestling chatterbox newsletter? So, um, not as not as uh, popular as observer, <laughs> right? Um, who claimed to have been an extra? How do you like this resources? Who claimed to have be an extra on the set of Hell Dorado, which is the name <laughs> they seem to be going with for Johnson's new current project? The two talked about his future, and he claimed that he would wrestle at No Way Out against <laughs> Hogan at WrestleMania against Goldberg, and then retire from wrestling. He said it wasn't a retirement for good, but with so many movie projects, he wouldn't have time to do wrestling, but was planning on returning someday when he's not as hot a commodity in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> turns out that was probably that's yet to <laughs> yeah. happen in 20 years. But we've been hearing talk from those close to Johnson as a possibility for more than one year, largely ever since Roger Ebert told them when they were both on t- a TV show together to get as far away from wrestling as possible. Still publicly, he always claimed he would never get up over wrestling because he enjoyed performing in front of people. Um, those at W have heard the same rumors, but Johnson has not expressed to anyone the company in his recent comeback talks with management. Um, so, you know, as, as far as being sourced from a rando on the set of Hell Dorado, which <laughs> not, doesn't end up being the name of the movie, but um, yeah, looks at this is right. It's not, um, you know, this is decently accurate. I mean, the Goldberg WrestleMania thing is kind of funny to think about. That obviously doesn't end up happening, but I mean, he doesn't right. retire from completely but i mean this is kind of spot on from where he goes yeah that is pretty good you know those extras uh wasn't <laughs> it isn't it Meltzer that said that like the week before bash at the beach he reported that it was hogan because of a extra on a film with like hulk hogan and roddy piper or something right right like I think that. I know what you're talking about <laughs> like yeah. yeah you know you gotta you got these movie star wrestlers and you're an extra, just, you know, cozy up to him and try and figure out, you know, all the news and rumors. Right. Cause I mean, this is pretty spot. Cause I mean, the, even the idea of he would return when he wasn't as hot a commodity in Hollywood, well, he didn't really have to worry about that. He would just come back anyway. But yeah. Um, but yeah, come back and become an even hotter commodity in Hollywood then. Right. And I guess like, part really? of it too is maybe the the reputation of wrestling changed a bit in the those 10 years. It's, I feel like it's a right. lot more. Maybe not as popular as it's heyday, but it's definitely really mainstream. I find nowadays. right, but yeah. Anyway, so just at Jake, and so on the topic of Goldberg, we have a, a news uh, nugget about him too. 
However, his claim that Rock versus Goldberg would headline WrestleMania are not in the current plan. So spot on here by Meltz, too. Johnson, as noted previously, was the person most enthusiastic about working with Goldberg at Mania. Johnson himself has been calling Goldberg constantly to try and put together the deal and set up a meeting a few weeks ago between Goldberg and McMahon when Goldberg was given the initial offer of coming in for big money and just working Mania and Backlash, both against Rock and splitting wins. He was all for it. However, WWE... Uh, when negotiating, was insistent upon Goldberg agreeing to at least 10 house shows per month. Goldberg has since countered with an offer. They would do two matches now, disappear, and then come back uh, <laughs> later on in the year at, like, Survivor Series. So just a little bit about Goldberg. But just this whole idea of Rock and Goldberg. I had never heard of this before, that this was ever, like, floated out there. Yeah, I never, I mean, they obviously never hinted on TV, but they never, like, seemed... I mean, I guess it would have been different if when Goldberg actually signed, he might have pushed for it. But then where does that leave Austin? And right. it, it's kind of weird. It's like hearing this now, I'm like, well, when, how would that have happened? And what does that do to the rest of the card? Right. The Austin thing is like the biggest question. Like, what do they do with Austin? Like, it's so weird to think about a world where he wouldn't, um, like it's such an iconic match in retrospect. Like right, and like he's not—he's above the titles. You know, he's not going to fight Triple mm-hmm. H for the world title, so he's got to face a guy who's at that same level, and it's really like The Rock is right. And it being up well few. until very recently, his last match—I mean, it was his last match for like twenty years. Like it's weird <laughs> to think about anybody but Rock, given their history. And like right. kind of the trilo- trilogy thing, it's weird to think about him just facing like, I don't know, I can't even think of somebody you would face. Yeah, like, like even <laughs> Jericho, you know, I mean, it would mm-hmm. be a great, I'm sure it would have been a great match, but like, it's not the same history. Right. Taker would be the only name, I feel like. Or yeah. maybe, yeah, if you did Sean, maybe that would be interesting. But yeah, weird, weird to think about. But anyway, to kind of sum it up, the plan for Mania right now is Rock Austin as the main event, uh, McMahon versus Hogan, Brock versus Angle, and Chris Jericho versus Shawn Michaels. So, again, pretty uh, spot on aside from maybe the order there as far as what's going to be the main event. But that is what we would end up getting. Um, Let's see. What else do we have here? We have a few more. Oh, we get the first uh, introduction here in – uh, Meltzer uh, mentions the idea that they may start doing the brand-specific pay-per-views after Mania, and he kind of goes into uh, kind of the, the the trickiness of that, especially when um, they're getting a little bit – the ratings and stuff are not quite what they used to be. Right, um, and the brands like, are – like, mm-hmm. even – you can – there's definitely a different personality on, on each brand as well. Right. Like, so kind of – yeah. Like, it kind of ponders, would would it drop the buy rates even further because you're splitting stars or people are going to want to pay to only see half of it, you know, pay $35 when you can only see half the rosters, that, that right. sort of thing. But he does mention here, it's the first mention I've seen him have that they do plan to do this. So that will be coming up soon. We'll see how that plays out. Um, let's see. Uh, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I just think uh, given our current uh, wrestling Landscape. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution ran two stories on the sons of wrestlers who are excelling in local high school sports. As we mentioned a few weeks back, Dusty Rhodes' youngest son, Cody Runnels, is now up 34-0, and wrestling at 189 pounds at uh, uh, Lasseter High in Marietta, Georgia. Runnels gave up football to concentrate fully on wrestling after placing six in the state. So 
Cody, uh, you know, I feel like you don't hear much about Cody's uh, like amateur background, but yeah, you know, they don't mention stud. it usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thirty-four right. and zero and one hundred and eighty-nine pounds. That's that's pretty heavyweight for high school. Right. Yeah, it is weird. Like you never. I guess it's just because if you're going with the Rhodes name, that's not kind of what all the other ones are known for. Right. Yeah, it's <laughs> not. You're not really going on the a fine amateur wrestling right. family tradition. Right, like a team angle style deal. So, right. Um, now, the other one here that they mentioned, uh, let's see, um, I'll, I'll throw this at you. Do you have any idea who the other son is that they're mentioning here that was like a um, a high school Georgia? wrestling stud? Uh, I'm going to take like son. a shot in the dark and say uh, Terry Gordy's kid. No, it is Lex Luger. Oh. Lex Luger. <laughs> um, I didn't know he Brian, had kids. <laughs> Brian Puffle. On the other hand, and probably not surprising, doesn't like wrestling. A 6'8", 230-pound <laughs> junior at Pace Academy. The son of Lex Luger is averaging 20.3 points and 13.2 rebounds this season in basketball. Oh, so more of a basketball guy. Um, he broke his wrist punching a backstop and scored 32 points three days later. So um, <laughs> so interesting there. <laughs> anyway, and my last one here, just because it amused me, is that uh, there's a quick little note about uh, this guy, Brian Danielson who's going by American Dragon, was told last week that they would bring him in more regularly for TV jobs and dark matches, but they wanted him to get a haircut and a tame. So. <laughs> yeah, he's a B-plus player best. Right, get a haircut. That'll never get over. Yeah, shave, get a shave, man. And I think some of those matches are on the uh, the video game from a couple of years ago. Man. Like, you'd have to be Brian Danielson against John Cena in 2003 and perform all the different moves. That's amazing. But yeah, I just, um, anytime you could see things, uh, I always love those little nuggets about these guys get a tan anyway. All right. But that's all I got for the, uh, the news notes, Ryan, a few interesting ones, but, uh, we can hop into the shows now. Yeah. So, all right. We will start with the, um, the January 27, 2003 raw live <laughs> in Chicago. Now in watching yes. this, you realize as you're watching this, Ryan, um, that you actually attended this show, correct? Yeah, so I was I didn't like, you know, read the date or, you know, read the card where it was at or anything. And I just started watching the show and I saw the Chicago Wolves, the Chicago's minor league hockey team banners in the background. I was like, wait a <laughs> second, January of 2003. And then I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah, I was at the show and thinking back, <laughs> I had very little recollection of anything on it, except yeah. I was disappointed that someone wasn't there but we can get to right. that later so, right uh we'll, we'll get into it maybe not the most memorable show so i could see how it maybe slipped your mind yeah. but still cool nonetheless that you were there all right so all right we come right of the gate with a match it's going to be a uh, booker t versus jeff hardy so no long promo to start raw um, i feel like they've gotten away from that a bit i kind of it was a thing, but honestly, they don't even do that much anymore. But anyway, we're going to get a Booker T versus Jeff Hardy. We are told um, we're going to get an update on Stacy after her uh, horrific chair shot injury last week. Uh, so this is kind of what you expect. Booker's using the power advantage. He hammers on Jeff with some strikes. Jeff gets a few hope spots in using his, you know, his normal Jeff Hardy unorthodox offense. Uh, he goes for the whisper and the wind. Booker T dodges that. Jeff avoids the scissors kick and hit, then finally connects with the whisper in the wind. But Booker comes back and steals it with a nice looking little uh, sunset flip in the corner into a roll up. And he, he takes it from Jeff right there. Totally fine opener for me, Ryan. Um, 
you know, Booker T gives Booker T a win in some singles action away from book dust, which may be a sign of things to come. And with, uh, in Jeff Hardy's case, they're further pushing this idea of him going kind of heelish as after the match, he attacks after the bell, uh, tries to attack Booker after the bell, even though um, he goes for a dive and Booker just drops him on the railing yeah. <laughs> after. So he ends up looking like a goof anyway. I don't really know what they're trying to go for with this Jeff Hardy heel turn. Uh, but anyway, I, I went two on it, Ryan. I just thought it was a totally fine, if uh, not spectacular opener. Yeah, I gave it the gentleman's two as well. I thought, mm -hmm. yeah, it was fine match. You know, nice to see two of the, really two of the bigger stars on the show in a singles match. I mean, you know, they're both, I would say at least mid carters at best, you know, they're, they're known guys. It's not your Steven Richards, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, so it was good. You know, Booker kind of showing his smarts to get the win and Jeff Hart. Yeah. Jeff Hardy's heel attack after wasn't work out too well though. Right. He, uh, it was not successful. It's, I don't know. It's a weird look for him. He's one of the, he's a weird guy where I, I don't know if like, I feel like he's one of the few guys that it just, it's hard to imagine him heal. Like, I just don't know how it works. I just don't think he's built for it for some reason. Just seems like a natural kind of face. Yeah. I mean, especially the, I don't think he had the, he, he, unless he had like a manager to talk for him. It's, and mm -hmm. even then, he kind of runs into like the Seth Rollins thing where like his offense <laughs> just face offense, you know, mm -hmm. like who's going to boo the Swanton bomb. Right. Like all of his, it's like all of his moves are like hope spots essentially. <laughs> right. So yeah. yeah. Strange. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how it plays out, but he's just, man, he's really been meandering for a while now. I mean, probably because of his uh, backstage issues, but yeah, he's just, he's a whisper in the wind right now, Ryan. <laughs> he's uh, kind of aimless. All right. So we'll, uh, we'll keep going. So we get coach backstage. Yes, Steiner about last week. And he says that he's calling out Triple H. Really nothing too memorable there. Yeah. Just kind of set the stage. He's pissed off about last week, as you'd expect. Uh, we then get a Nathan Jones vignette. And uh, the, the main takeaway, I took the quote, suffering can lead to great rewards. But I've said this since they started doing these vignettes. I kind of dig the vignettes. And I, I kind of like what they're building here because they – the vignettes are starting to build this idea of like, um, like he spent this time in jail and it's like giving him this like mental toughness. Yeah. And it's like gotten him better mm -hmm. than he was. Yeah. Like he's like got this toughness to him, which is all kind of cool and it would really work out. And I was just thinking there, it's like, man, if he could wrestle, <laughs> he could have been like an interesting character maybe with this, but, um, we'll see probably pr pretty soon that that's, uh, he could not. And it's, it's hard yeah. to be a wrestler when you can't wrestle. <laughs> Yeah, the, the one drawback on <laughs> Right. But I did take the promo. I like the whole um, the mental toughness that jailed hardened him and all that stuff. The grittiness of it was cool. But um, well, you'll notice we get Nathan Jones, and there's uh, we'll talk about in a minute one that's going to be rammed down our throats repeatedly on both shows. It's going to be another guy we'll talk about <laughs> in a second. <laughs> all right. Uh, so we then cut back to Steiner, who says that Triple, Triple H doesn't know, know him. And uh, here comes Triple H down the. Um, down the ramp, but you definitely notice here Triple H dressing in the suits, as you can start to see. They yeah. still have yet to say evolution, but you're starting to see this kind of horseman style. He's not doing the whole um, the leather and the jeans and all that kind of stuff. He's moving towards these kind of um, the suits with the uh, the suit coats and the uh, the top button out and everything. So you could see him starting to move towards that. He says he's better than Steiner, and he proved it. He proved that he was smarter. 
Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just do it as normal Triple H, uh, running the guy down. And But when you call him out now, you're going to get all four of them. And so they all line up on the stage, him, Flair, um, Orton, and Batista. And again, you even see with Batista and Orton, like um, Batista, who's been presented as kind of this beast, you now even see him and Orton kind of dressed a little more formally with the sweaters and stuff. So really pushing right, that yeah. uh, that kind of business look. So you see what them, there's, you could, you're starting to already see what they're going for, what their aesthetic is supposed to be and kind of putting this all together. But Steiner doesn't back down because he has a pipe. And uh, as they go to uh, loom over him and attack him, he kind of fires back with the pipe. They cower away. And uh, I, I definitely feel this, Ryan. They're trying to do the against the odds thing with Steiner to maybe help him get the crowd back since he kind of lost them at the Rumble. Uh, I don't know if it's successful. I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, this was okay, but eventually it's going to be four on one. And he's... Mm-hmm. If he's not getting his ass kicked, like which he should, that like it's just these odds are like too much to start. Mm-hmm. Especially like the one time we see it, saw him got physical, he was, you know, he could barely breathe after eight minutes. So <laughs> right. it's not that believable anymore. Yeah, it, it's an odd fit. Like it's a like Steiner as a face, does it seem like an overcoming the odds kind of baby face? It doesn't really seem like, right. like I feel like he's a guy who's got to look good most of the time to like get him over as like this big cocky roided up, you know, <laughs> freakzilla. So if he's just constantly fighting off all the, yeah, you just know he's not, there's no way he's going <laughs> to overcome triple H's stable. Uh, I feel like he's, you're starting to see that he's just going to be fodder for this new triple H stable. Unfortunately for him. We'll see how yeah. it out. <laughs> but uh you know it was fine it was normal triple h promo and just kind of getting over the whole his, his new stable here and what their looks going to be all right all right we'll carry on we have terry who's interviewing a uh the the new and improved Delo brown about facing hurricane but uh teddy then takes the mic and he goes on this rant about why there are no black superheroes he compares superman to black lightning um, and uh, he gets across that, um, you know, Superman could do all these amazing things. What can black lightning do except shoot lightning bolts out of his ass? And, uh, he then calls D'Lo the black Superman. So, um, I'm not saying that he did not have a point here, but <laughs> it, D'Lo Brown as the black Superman is a tough sell for me, <laughs> Ryan. I don't know about you. Yeah. I do like though that, like, if you're going to mm-hmm. make Teddy Long, you know, the head of fucking and bugging enterprises and you're going to have him like be a heel it's good to have him like go goofy and not mm-hmm. like have real legitimate complaints which he could and could get a little too real for monday night raw in 2003 mm-hmm. so like at least he's being goofy saying like you know thunderbolts out the out of his ass and stuff like at least they're going they're right striking the right chord with it i think right right it's definitely like the uh, like a bit of a watered down nation like he's not right yeah going f- not going for the throat like Farouk was in 97. Right. So he does kind of have a point, but you're right. It's not like he's he's not going about it in the most serious way or right. the most serious approach. So we'll see as we we will now head to our match here. As we had Hurricane versus D'Lo. Uh, the whole, the, everything JR King during this whole match is just them debating like what's a superhero like jr claims he's the whole time jr is trying to like go back at teddy and say oh there are black superheroes and he claims that shaft was a superhero yeah and, and <laughs> goes right back at him he's like 
Shaffle's not a superhero, which to King's point, I mean, he wasn't. He was like a just no. a guy, <laughs> uh, like a vigilante guy or something. So it is kind of funny as they go back and forth on that. They kind of don't even pay a ton of attention to the match. They just keep going back and forth on that whole idea. Uh, and then they help, like, talk out the whole theme song to the show. Like, he's a bad <laughs> mother. Don't you talk about Shaffle. <laughs> right. It's odd conversation. But as they're doing that, there's a match going in the background with Hurricane D'Lo. Uh, Hurricane hits a few cool moves like he usually does. Thought he had a nice dive here. Um, but, you know, after a little bit of back and forth, D'Lo ends up winning with kind of out of nowhere with the fade to black, which is just the lowdown. They just call it the fade to black now to fit his new gimmick. But, um, yeah, my main issue with it, I mean, I want to star in the match. It's just, I mean, it was a perfectly just a quick match to try and put D'Lo over and Hurricane you know, to do a few cool moves, but I just don't feel like there's enough different about D'Lo to make him feel fresh. Like if they're trying to sell us on this big reboot with D'Lo, like he needs to have like a more different look, some kind of new move set. He yeah. just seems kind of like the same old stale D'Lo with a, you know, a Teddy Long in this whole him being angry thing, but it's just not translating in any other way. Right. Yeah. D'Lo's good with like the facials and stuff but it's only going to get him so far and he's good with what he does but he's not changing it he's mm-hmm. just the same D'Lo from last year you know yeah they're not yeah they're not putting enough into it they're not like yo man he means business now or something like that it's just like uh he's the same old D'Lo but now he's angry now he's <laughs> got Teddy Long managing him right right any uh, any thoughts on this uh, born burn of a match, Ryan? Yeah, it was it was fine. Like it was just kind of trying to get over Dilo's new attitude, and I gave it a star and a half. It was you know it was fine for what it was, but it didn't go too long, and nothing really earth shattering in it. Yep, agreed. Not a whole bunch to much more to say about it. All right, we will keep going. We have uh, Chief Morley, who watches a replay of the um, uh, Vincent Hogan altercation from SmackDown, which is, the, they always throw in these clever ways to, like, um, I, I say clever, but they're obviously just trying to make anybody who didn't catch SmackDown who does watch Raw, in case they didn't see this whole Vince Hogan thing, just to replay it on on uh, Raw, but make it seem like it's integrated into the story, because it's just him watching the segment on TV. But anyway, um Morley tells Eric that Vince may reconsider. Uh, Eric Bischoff says he doesn't need a pissy Vince. He doesn't need Hogan pissing off Vince because he's got enough problems with Vince as it is. But Eric has some kind of idea that he's cooked up. So we'll see what that is soon enough. Uh, We then cut to Jericho backstage who addresses the Stacy incident. Uh, He says he doesn't owe anyone anything, but he has to face the public. And so we'll head out to the ring, um, Ryan, for our Jericho, what we presume to be an apology of the uh, any since uh, you weren't on the last episode, but this whole kind of next part, it's going to be him getting into it. Um, any right. thoughts on the uh, the Stacy getting knocked out thing? Like we talked about it last week. It's kind of an odd choice for them to go so heavy and serious on it. Um, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, like you could have done something a little less dramatic and it was a long replay package and it was i know it was even longer on the original they give it a lot of time to try and sell it but i don't know it's kind of hokey right it was it was a bit much agree but anyway um so jericho comes out 
Um, he gets a big asshole chant, which I have to say, Ryan, you guys are on point. This crowd through this whole show, even as we'll get to, I mean, not the most amazing Raw you're ever going to see, but the crowd was lit throughout this. I mean, they were yeah. bringing it. Like, they were they were wanting to see some good stuff. Like, they were chomping at the bit for anything <laughs> that they could pop for. So, good for them. But he gets a big asshole chant, big heat. He says, sometimes things happen out of your control. Like, when he lost his number one, can like, um... When he, uh, <laughs> like, whatever Steiner's going to lose him for the number one contender spot next week. So, of course, a big swerve there. You think he's talking about Stacy, but also he feels terrible about it. And then he, he, um, he does the heavy Canadian, uh, sorry, which he says, I'm sorry, which pisses off JR, who says, What does sorry mean? Does he mean sorry? <laughs> so, um, he's definitely hamming it up on the overplaying the sorry thing to troll everyone. And then Christian comes out, his buddy. And tells him not to apologize. It's not a dance floor, he says. This is a wrestling ring. And they come together and they decide that it's actually Tess's fault for this because he should have taken the chair shot like a man instead of moving out of the way, which I thought was funny. Um, and they're actually, what they really are apologizing for is that Test is a big coward. And for someone always t- talking about testicles, he has none. So just some, I thought there were some good lines in here. I, I enjoyed uh, Jericho coming back and being the shithead that he's supposed to be after kind of <laughs> seeming like he might actually care last week. Um, but then we get the, uh, the culmination of this, which now HBK comes out because of course he has a conflict with Jericho. He says Jericho is telling them what it takes to be a man while wearing those pants. So he, Jericho of course has his very flamboyant checkered pants. Now, Ryan, I did think this was a, a bit of a pot calling the kettle black here with Sean, like yeah. Sean telling someone. <laughs> used to yeah. Sean telling it. someone about <laughs> his fashion attire. Yeah. I mean, you can just go back to the, the poop pants at survivor series. You know, there's right. plenty of instances of, <laughs> Some questionable fashion choices by old heartbreak there. Yeah, like, or if he's saying, like, oh, those flamboyant pants is like, uh, sure, your whole gimmick is that you're like a male <laughs> stripper. Like, you wear like sequin chaps and stuff. Like, I don't know if you could really, um, uh, yeah, so an odd insult there. But uh, he then says that a man has to take responsibility. You look them in the eye and fight, and that's what he's going to do. So he runs down, lays hands on Jericho, but the uh, numbers catch up quickly, Sean, and they kind of, um, beat Sean down here and we we sort of end the segment on that but yeah just uh addresses what happened it's kind of shown us the two uh the two deals that Jericho's involved with because we know we have a bit of we know that the ultimate thing he's heading for is HBK they want to make sure we don't forget about that but kind of his like um holdover is I guess going to be this little feud with Test so they're trying to you know kind of hold those two things out and show what Jericho's involved with it was fine I enjoyed Jericho and Christian kind of goofing off the Sean stuff was I I think sometimes when Sean does these serious promos they come off pretty good when he has good lines but other times like this one I feel like he can come off a little more corny. I thought this one leaned yeah. a little bit more into being corny with the, you got to know what it takes to be a man. Like, I think some of the serious stuff kind of hits good when he has good lines, but this felt a little generic for me. Yeah, it was kind of like, you know, right in babyface hero speech. It wasn't really mm-hmm. unique at all. Right. It was just very much like, uh, yeah, very heroish. Yeah, pretty straightforward stuff, but just keeps. Keeps it in the back of our mind, keeps things simmering. And uh, at least lets us know that Jericho is a full heel and he actually does not feel bad about hitting Stacy. All right. All right. We head backstage and we see Victoria hitting a picture of a trash can in preparation for a Chicago street fight with uh, Trish tonight. So, um, yeah, interesting scene here. She's uh, 
I guess this is our prep here. These uh, these wrestling garbage cans. I've never seen a garbage can like this in real life. Yeah, I. <laughs> yeah, the aluminum steel cans that fold very easily once you get hit. Right. Right. Like if it. I mean, when they pick up my trash, I mean, those they'd be like mutilated in one go because they just <laughs> right. like they empty it and just like fucking crush it on the ground. So, yeah, these uh, alternate wrestling world where trash cans are like a Coke can anyway. Yeah. All right, we go to our Chicago Street Fight here. So it'd be Trish versus Victoria in the latest edition of uh, Trish and Victoria out here every single week to have a match with no not a ton of focus on their what's actually happening in the storyline. At least they have a singles match and not some mixed tag. But anyway, uh, Victoria jumps her with a, uh, I guess it was like a, it wasn't a kendo stick. It looked almost like a, a broomstick a or broom something. A broom handle, yeah. <laughs> right, like right on the ramp. So they started off real quick like that. Don't even get the full entrances. But, um, man, I have to say, like, these two can work this style. Like, the Survivor Series match was was real good. Right. And I thought yeah. they they brought it in this one. Like, stiff shots. Like, they weren't plotting. They, they kept it moving. It didn't. It was much better than a lot of the like kind of hardcore title matches you would get on Raw, where it's just kind of slow plotting weapon shots. Like they felt like they were moving with purpose. Um, the there was a catapult spot in the corner into a trash can that was uh, that was pretty nasty. Good like momentum swings as they kind of um, work each other over and move from very quick momentum swings. Stevie comes in, he ends up uh, trying to help Victoria, but he ends up spraying her with the fire extinguisher, which makes her eat the chick kick. Uh, Stevie saves, uh, so. After the chick kick, so Trish kind of wears him out with the cane, which got a big pop from the crowd, seeing Stevie get his comeuppance. But um, Trish survives a big boot for Victoria that looked pretty good. That got a big pop as well. Again, like I said, when this crowd, when they gave them anything to attack, to to pop for, man, I mean, they were eating it up, and this was pretty good. So, uh, But the Stevie interference is too much for Trish to overcome as he pulls her off the apron, and she takes a pretty nasty shot to the back of the head. And they kind of play off that she's knocked out and they do the cover right there on the outside. But, man, I kind of ducked this, Ryan. That was a fun little hardcore brawl. The crowd energy was good, like I said. And, um, they moved uh, with purpose. It was very quick, few minutes. But uh, they laid it in. And, um, yeah, this is like, I don't know, Trish and Victoria like can really go <laughs> if you give them like a street fight setting. Uh, yeah. They're going two and a half. I dug it. <laughs> yeah, I went up to three, actually, for it. I thought mm-hmm. it was really good. And, you know, it's only five maybe six minutes but you know they're moving the whole time and it's it was a real good match yeah the ending yeah, like you seemed can, to mm-hmm. look kind mm-hmm. of weird like it looked like she actually i mean i know she wasn't knocked like it seemed like she actually got knocked out and that's why they mm-hmm. like kind of just cut it off right away no right it really did look like an nasty shot it wouldn't surprise me if she was kind of knocked loopy a bit, but a uh, part of me wonders if they're trying to, because they do make them fight every week if they were maybe trying to protect her a little bit, like protect right. Trish. Like maybe it's not a quote unquote clean win, even though it's a hardcore match, but yeah, I mean, for our, again, I wish they would do more and we'll see maybe in this post-match segment, maybe we see where we're going with this, but yeah, they can go. This was, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, but anyway, after this, we see, so Trish is trying to recover from that beating and we see a returning Jazz head down to the ring, who has been gone since the early days of this podcast. Um, um, she was embroiled in a few with Trish when she uh, was injured and left. But uh, she heads to the ring. And you're not quite sure what she's going to do at first, but she quickly uh, starts wearing Trish out with a DDT. She hits uh, like a sick uh, fisherman suplex, almost like a fisherman buster. This is a yeah. brutal beatdown by Jazz. Like, um, 
But yeah, I dug it. I, I enjoyed Jazz when she was around when I first started the pod. I'm hoping she can come in. I'm hoping she comes and gives us a bit of a shot in the arm and maybe helps them refocus what's going on in the women's title picture with uh, Trish and Victoria. And it's been a bit meandering. So that's what I'm hoping for. But I, I thought a pretty good return for Jazz here. I thought she looked pretty good. Yeah, they made her out to be a killer, really. I thought it went maybe a little too long, like, because she sets up in between each move. It wasn't like mm-hmm. a constant beat. It kind of like I hit a move, I walk around and yell, and then I hit another move. And then I do, you know, it was kind of going a little long, but it was a good way to reestablish her for sure. Right. Yeah, she was kind of doing like the uh, the psycho Sid, like hit a move, <laughs> mo- like walk a few paces. Yeah for that but yeah good beat down we'll see where it leads hopefully like i said it can change things up a bit with this because it's kind of a little stale all right all right so now we'll head to our um our tag title match here as we uh we get the dudleys versus regal and storm in a uh, tag tag title match which will be a tables match so jr even mentions that it's strange that like chief morley would allow this match to happen which i was thinking that too like why would he give them a title shot but we'll see in a second maybe he had a scheme all along so the dudleys are just they come in hot they're just wrecking regal and storm in a really good beatdown. i thought in this early part like hitting all their spots we get an ecw champ from the crowd uh but they go to look for the tables and suspiciously there are no tables under the the ring which they always are and we see Morley taunting them at the top of the ramp. He has a table. Morley says they were stupid to think that he would do this, and it turns out to be a trap. As three-minute warning jumped them on the ramp, uh, they make their way back down to the ring. Spike comes and attempts to rescue him, but um, like you'd expect, Spike cannot take on three-minute warning, so they quickly neutralize him, and they have power-bombing D- Devon through the table and end it. Uh, it was, you know, honestly not all that much of a match. It was kind of just the Dudleys coming in, hitting their spots to pop the crowd, and they kind of just went into it being Morley's trap. So, like, I thought that the, it was a fun start, and they're definitely trying to push this Dudleys versus the Authority feud. I end up going two for the whole thing as, like, a match in a segment because I guess it accomplishes what they're trying to accomplish. I still don't think Morley is the most interesting Authority figure here. But for what they were trying to accomplish, I, I mean, I thought it was okay. End up going two on it, Ryan. Yeah, and I don't even remember what were the, what did the Dudleys do that made them like anti? Management they, uh, or they, I believe the main thing is that they saved Jr. and King whenever oh, they okay. did that whole they did that. Yeah, thing. that whole deal. It's, they came to the rescue and helped Jr. and King win in that match, and now they've been on the shit list since then. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah, it was it was okay. Like the beginning, it's just like a squash match basically. Mm-hmm. Until they go and look for the tables and then the whole storyline plays out. So I don't know. I I don't really wanna advocate for longer Dudley's two thousand three matches, but maybe like two more minutes where it's at least a little back and forth so the champs don't look like such like losers kind of. Right. It's a weird thing with the Dudleys because it's like, I get it from like, when they first come out, they're doing the beat down, like it's cool, like the crowd pops for it. But it's hard, I find it harder for me to get invested in them in like a storyline right now. Like they're cool for, like, I don't know, I think putting them together was like, putting them back together was a good choice because the crowd's into them. I don't know, putting them straight back into the main tag title storyline 
was the best because I don't, right. you know, especially when you juxtapose to like Booker T and Goldust, who I feel like everyone's so invested in them and their characters and them being this kind of oddball team. I feel like if you put them in this spot, I would be much more into them fighting like some kind of authority because I feel like they're more sympathetic. I feel like I'm not as much, I'm not as invested in the Dudleys maybe. And yeah, so I feel like that's tough. I feel like the Dudleys are in this mode. They're in this, at this point, I feel like they're here to pop the crowd, but I don't know if you want to feature them as like the top team anymore. It's kind of my feeling on it. Yeah. 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 It could kind of be the, you know, the other face tag team, not the ones Correct. in the title picture. Right. That's what they're rolling with. We'll see how it plays out. All right. We didn't see Triple H confront Eric Bischoff about Steiner possibly becoming the number one tender contender. He is not happy about it, but he quickly changed his mind before Eric even says anything. And it seems he has some kind of plan that he's concocted in his mind. So he's not as concerned about Steiner becoming the number one contender. I wonder if it could have anything to do with his new stable, Ryan, possibly. Yeah, I think he's got his his boys in tow. They're going to do something. All right. Um, Speaking of boys, we have our two Tough Enough winners uh, from the recent Tough Enough finale. Uh, They're getting ready for the debut. Um, So Matt and uh, and John – Two really uh, basic names there. Uh, Matt and John are winners of Tough Enough, but uh, we see that Nowinski is lurking in the background. Um, so, you know, Mr. Tough Enough, Chris, uh, Chris Nowinski. Yeah, he looks like uh, a we, Scooby-Doo villain, kind of just pulling out <laughs> at the end. He definitely did. Um, then we get to K and RVD getting ready for their match. They discuss that there's no hard feelings from the Rumble. Um, Rob has a funny moment where he says that K... Yeah, like uh, you have the choke slam, and I have the split legged moonsault, the frog splash, and then you have uh, the choke slam. So, kind of just uh, kind of a low key dig at Kane only having one move or something. But anyway, he gets Kane to do the uh, the RVD, you know, thumb point to himself, but he says big red machine. So, just uh, almost kind of going for like, I feel like they're going for the same energy they have with Booker T and Goldust with this team. And, uh, it's working out fine, I think. I don't mind it. Yeah, it's not too bad. You know, at this time, Kane was still good showing a little more comedic charisma, and RVD's good enough with, you know, with what he's given usually. Right. He has, like, a, a certain weirdness to him that I think uh, that works out here. Now, now off topic here, right, I had to look this up because throughout this whole show, I haven't said it yet, but they're really pushing that it, it was freezing cold in Chicago on this day. Like, JR must have said it, like, after every commercial. Like, when they come yeah. back, it's like, we're in yeah. Chicago and it's freezing cold. A blustery <laughs> night. So I looked it up and the low was, um, I do. let me ask you this. Do you remember it being a particularly cold night since you were there? It would never uh, have. Not really, but. We got so many cold days in Chicago that they all kind of. <laughs> right. And I, they all, they usually have like a January show. So I've went like three or four years in a row in January. And I don't really. I don't remember any being like particularly low, right. but. I, I guess JR is like uh, Oklahoma ass. <laughs> Can't take it. But uh, I looked it up. The low was one degree and the high was 19 degrees. So I guess it's uh, pretty cold. Yeah, it's cold, but it's. Right. That's normal in January, February here. <laughs> right, I could imagine. But, I mean, he would not. I mean, he, I really feel like he said it like 50 times during the show. So, And it's funny because they, 
I know the hotel they usually all the wrestlers stay at is like literally a block away from the arena. Mm-hmm. And it's right the hotel is right by the airport. So he was probably like in two rental cars for like five <laughs> minutes and his big his trip through blustery Chicago, you know, he's making you think that he was like walking up the lakefront earlier in the day. <laughs> right. I could see him grumbling the whole, you know, 30 feet from yeah. the hotel to the arena. Uh, anyway. All right. So we get our, we get a tough enough three finale recap, but like I said earlier, our winners are some guy named John Hennigan and uh, mm-hmm. Matt Capitelli. John Hennigan, of course, would later become John Morrison. So um, kind of, um, I don't know. He's got to be one of the bigger, if not the biggest one to come out of tough enough. Right. I would I say, know. I mean, if you're mm-hmm. counting just winners, yeah, I mean, right, really, though, right. the two biggest guys are probably him and The Miz, as far as just tough enough guys at all. Right. I don't think I even realized Miz was tough enough. He was the I'd one that, mm-hmm. that was on uh, SmackDown with uh, Pewter. Mm, gotcha. He ended up, they were in the finals, and they had some weird, like, boxing match like dixie dynamite or something <laughs> man good for them because the more i'm going through this i feel like tough enough is like the kiss of death <laughs> it's like <laughs> um so we're gonna get a match between these two so we get matt and john coming out for this match and i, I wish they would have given them the like this i don't think is a good way to debut these guys from tough enough yeah like they don't even have real gear they look like they just showed up from like the gym um, they go back and forth in like the most exhibitiony looking match you've ever seen. Like it does not look like two guys trying to win a match, like fighting each other. It looks like they're just kind of they're doing moves doing back and drills, forth. Yeah, right. And then Nowinski comes, he interferes. Uh, he, he grabs the mic, says he's not bitter, but they don't need to rub it in his face that he didn't win. So he's making it all about himself. And then out of nowhere, schmuck Tommy Dreamer comes in, <laughs> um, chases them off, and he congratulates them. And then, of course, he welcomes them by blasting them in the head with the with the cane. This, I don't know, Ryan, this whole thing sucked. I, I mean, so every point. <laughs> go ahead. Well, I was just thinking, because last year when I did this show, like I said, it was the year, the night after Unforgiven, there's a Tommy Dreamer versus Chris Nowinski like classroom brawl or whatever so has this feud still been going on or did it just like out of nowhere come back it's just like they're like the dregs of raw they're like the bot <laughs> it's like anytime they need to like kill five minutes yeah. they just throw them out in something like in this case it's not even because like dream rock guess kind of saves them but he hits them with a cane and it's like this stupid like initiation yeah initiation yeah. lame bullshit like what is it accomplished they look like chumps they already right. kind of look like chumps because you got them in there. They have no character. They don't have real gear. Yeah, at least give them a pair of tights or pants or yeah. something. Like, coming out in their gym shorts, just not a good look. Like, look, I know in the modern times, like, the, the NXT call-ups have been kind of ragged on a bit, but they're nothing compared to these poor tough no. enough guys. Like, yeah. oh, man. Like, and they're completely not ready for it. It's like, it's like a weird thing. Like you almost feel like they want them to fail to like make a point. It's like they have this show where not to get in some rant, but like they have this show where it's like, no, look, we're going to like teach you how to wrestle in like two months or something. But then they win. And then they immediately want to prove this point. Like it's not that easy. Yeah. They're not, they're not real stars yet. 
Yeah, like you think these guys he get over. Look at these two chumps. Like have Tommy Dreamer, who's like a D-lister at this point, come and hit him <laughs> with a cane. Like it's just it's weird. Like I feel like they actively want him to fail. I don't get it. Like why not have them win and then send them to OVW? Like if you really cared about them. And I think really that's be- what they mm-hmm. do after mm-hmm. this. It's like I don't know if maybe they said something like during the finale they like just blurted out, you know, the winners of this will face each other on Raw or something. Mm-hmm. And they felt like, well, it, you know, if you never come back, at least, you know, you could have one raw match and you're tough enough time. But, but I guess, yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't like anything about this. I didn't like the dreamer thing. I don't like sending these two guys out there to die. Yeah. Like, to look bad. Just everything about it sucked. Uh, all right. So I, I alluded to this earlier, but we get it. I feel like I talk about this seven times an episode now. It's the Sean O'Hare promo. He comes in with this uh, <laughs> same deal about how he we deserve a drink and a smoke. I mean, this getting to the level like um, like JT and Chad when they're on Wrestling Warzone, they would talk about the uh, the Glacier vignettes like constantly. <laughs> like to, I feel like I'm getting to that point with these Sean O'Hare things. There's like six an episode. It's just the same old like you deserve a drink and a smoke. You can get away from your family. You deserve it. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. I don't know. Do you, yeah, this how do you one feel was, about these? Yeah. yeah, this one, now it's getting even, like, more, you know, like, oh, you don't have to go home. You don't, like, at least the first few were, like, focused on something, like the church <laughs> and taxes or whatever. But, like, this is just, like, eh, like, do whatever you want. Waste your time. It's whatever you want to do, I guess. It was, yeah. They're kind of meandering. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like I'm trying to imagine how this translates to like a wrestling character, and it's not right. coming to me immediately. So there's that part of it too. Um, I, wonder, I wonder if he's gonna these are gonna go on as long as Glacier. It's starting to feel like it. We'll find <laughs> out. Anyway, all right, then we get to all right. So Eric comes out for his big announcement. He's <laughs> you were sitting in the crowd waiting. You're hoping, huh, Ryan? At this point, yeah. and Eric, Eric Bischoff comes out. He shows clips from the Austin Confidential episode where Vince and JR are laying into him, talking about he uh, took his ball, went home, disrespected everyone, you know, the big burial that they did. Eric wants the other side of this, and they're going to do it in the magazine. And then he kind of restates the invite for No Way Out. And uh, yeah, it was essentially the same promo he did the previous week, pretty much just like kind of a hard sell for the magazine and for No Way Out to see Stone Cold at No Way Out. Because you are not seeing him tonight, Ryan. You did not get to see him in Chicago, unfortunately. You're gonna to have to pay the thirty-five bucks, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I had tickets to this beforehand, but after seeing the SmackDown, I was like really excited, like, oh, they actually brought Hogan back. So they're gonna to have to bring Austin back on Raw to like counter it. And I had a feeling as soon as the show started with the Booker T Jeff Hardy match, I was like, he's not gonna be here because that would have been I mean, mm-hmm. to just start the show with Austin's music hitting would be the best way you could have done it. So when that happened, I was kind of like, oh, he's probably not coming out. And then when Bischoff came out and started talking about him, I knew he wasn't going to come out then. Right. Yeah, it's a bummer. But again, the crowd's so good. Even when he says the thing about the magazine, the crowd popped for the magazine. <laughs> I guess the reveal here was that last week he said he's going to try and get him to do the magazine. And now he revealed that he has the magazine. So, you know, riveting television, <laughs> um, essentially a commercial for a magazine. Yeah. Um, and then I think, so, yeah. 
I looked it up online. They do play the Austin Sacrifice video. Mm, okay. So that's like kind of because it and it cuts kind of awkwardly on a peacock. It's like mm-hmm. kind of just fades to black real quick. So you go. So you get the music video too. But uh, unfortunately, you braved that uh, blustering cold. Yeah. All right, but what you did get to see was our main event, which is going to be a tag match where uh, Triple H and Batista are going to be facing RVD and Kane. Uh, we start off with the big men. Um, we get some, uh, you know, fine, but nothing too memorable to start, like from our two big men kind of slugging it out. RVD gets in, he starts kicking uh, Batista in the leg, but Batista blasts him with a spear. Triple H gets in and starts working over Rob, who kind of turns into our face in peril in this one. Uh, definitely doing a good job of establishing the dynamic of the new stable. Like Batista's the heavy, Triple oh, H is yeah. kind of the yeah, like the uh, the jack of all trades kind of technician, but he kind of has power too. And um, called the shots did, also is he's right. like directing Batista what to do and stuff. Right, definitely, and that's really what they were going for this match. It's just kind of establishing all that. I like this little Pele kick kind of maneuver that uh, Rob did uh, reversal uh, for. Uh, Rob to get the hot tag to Kane. The faces gain some momentum, but Flair and Orton jump Kane on the outside, and they actually rip off his mask. Um, and so he has to cower away and leave. That leaves RVD to the Wolves. He gets caught in midair by Batista for a sidewalk slam, and then gets hit with the power bomb, and Batista pins him. So, um, yeah, w- we just said it. This the whole point of this. I mean, it was a perfectly fine match. Um, RVD looked good as he usually does. Uh, but it was all about establishing evolution, establishing this new stable further. Like we said, kind of the hierarchy right now is that Batista is the heavy, Triple H is the captain, Flair's kind of like the manager, and Orton is kind of like, I guess, Flair's like backup guy a little bit, but just kind of getting over in that, that they're just going to overwhelm you with the numbers. Uh, you know, the horsemen, essentially, <laughs> I could just say, kind of like the same sort of dynamic. But uh, they beat down RVD after until Steiner comes out with the pipe and uh, starts uh, fighting them off. But the match itself, before we get into how the show actually ends, I ended up going two and a half on it. Again, perfectly fine, but not anything amazing tag match, just to kind of put over Evolution. Yeah, it does a good job of kind of establishing who they are and how they're or, you know, how they're organized and how they're going to work. I thought it was kind of weird that Flair comes out with Batista and then Triple H comes out with Orton. Like, why couldn't they all just come out? I know they didn't have, you know, the group music yet, but couldn't they all just come out to Triple H's music? I thought that was kind of odd. But, yeah, standard match, you know, nothing too fascinating. Uh, Kane, taking Kane's mask off, I thought that was a little clever that, it's a good mm-hmm. way to take him out of the match. And it was different at least. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I was surprised it ended with, uh, I mean, I knew RVD was going to lose, but I'm surprised he didn't have to slay down to the pedigree yet again. He actually gets the Batista bomb. Right. Got to put, yeah, getting Batista over. But uh, yeah, I always find it. Um, anytime when these guys take the mask off, I feel like it's so risky. Like, um, in that uh, that Ray Mysterio, what I think it's Ray Mysterio and Dean Malenko match where Ray like oh, it's yeah. like um, Malenko had stolen his mask and he puts the mask on like in the middle of the match. I'm like, man, I'd be so nervous. Like he drops it and just like <laughs> blows his entire cover. Like here, like Kane screws up and like you just see his face. Like it's it very risky, <laughs> right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, were you surprised? I mean, we still have this last segment with them, but 
they're they're not going to talk really. Were you surprised? I was definitely thinking after last week that this week we're going to get like some like promo from Triple H where he kind of lays down what the stable is. I was. Were you surprised that they didn't kind of have any kind of segment where they come out and sort of lay the ground, like yeah, lay I out guess, what the new stable is, right? Yeah, I guess he could have done it. Like but when they were interrupting Steiner, it was like kind of to go out and attack him. So I guess they didn't really have any separate like promo time. So I guess that's the reason they skipped over it. Yeah. Like the whole thing, right. It's, it's weirdly like, I feel like they're not emphasizing as much as you would think. Like yeah, I would they, imagine you would think like a commentary, like Jared would be like, Oh, well, what is this now? Now Orton and Batista are with triple A, like the commentary, like nobody's like questioning this really, like that it's some monumental shift that all these young guys are aligning with Triple H. It's just they're kind of like, oh yeah, they're all together now. Yeah, like I mean, it was easy enough to do it with Batista because he was managed by Flair, also. But yeah, like they're not really pushing why. Like they're not saying, oh, you know, who wouldn't want to be watching Triple H and being mentored by rick flair they're kind of just leaving it out there which is unusual they like usually like to really hammer points home yeah and like like to build the intrigue about it i feel like they haven't tried to build any kind of intrigue in us like about why they came together like i said last week i feel like it's been more low-key than i expected it to be like i thought like you said i thought you know especially because it's triple h that they would be like beating it down our throats but instead it's like oh yep they're all together they beat people up you know, whatever, um, which so uh, so Jericho comes out, he attacks Steiner, which allows evolution to jump Steiner, bust him open. They do a, a very long, drawn out um, uh, beat down of him in a very funny moment. They uh, Batista powerbomb Steiner and his pants come down <laughs> and you could see his bright red underwear. So bright red, yeah. I, um, again, in case you were wondering if Steiner's run here is cursed, I mean, <laughs> just looked ridiculous. Like, but uh, yeah, very, uh, very long beat down. There's a where's Goldberg sign the crown and noticed, which was funny. <laughs> and uh, and they just kind of stand tall on him, but very long beat down. And then, of course, the shitbird heel Jericho mocks him <laughs> and puts him in the walls after the fact, which I thought was very funny. So we kind of end on that, just him getting his last little dig in. And uh, that's how we end the show. So any thoughts on this uh, evolution beatdown on Steiner here, Ryan? Uh, it was very, very long. Yeah, it just, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we don't need to see everyone's <laughs> finisher, including we don't really need a Ric Flair figure four at the end of a heel, <laughs> a heel group beatdown. <laughs> but I did love at the end Jericho sliding in and just pretending like he did all this damage. Was pretty good, right? The, and the thing about it, like I, I mentioned earlier, I just like when I ended this, I didn't, I didn't come off feeling like sympathy for Steiner. Really, I just felt like, oh man, he's getting his ass beat. Like he's not. I just don't feel like that's really his character is to just have like the odds stacked against him. I just don't feel like that's him as a face. And so, it right, just, yeah, it's more just like, oh, he got beat up. They just beat the piss out of him, and now he's laid out. Like, it didn't make me – like, I wasn't like, man, I can't wait till he gets him back next week. I'm just like, oh, man, I guess they're just going to topple him. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. But that, that's how we end the show there on uh, on that whole deal. Uh, I felt like this episode had a little more life to it than last week's, but uh, it's still not the most interesting. 
they kind of ran some stuff back. I mean, we kind of ended this the same way we ended last week with Evolution standing tall. We got, you know, Eric saying that Stone Cold is going to be at No Way Out, talking about the magazine, but just didn't feel like a whole lot happened. Maybe the matches were a bit more interesting, but uh, still not a spectacular Raw. Ended up going four and a half out of ten, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I I have, like, photographic memories of, like, the early <laughs> Raws and, like, 1992 superstars this was a show i was actually at and like had pretty much forgotten this so yeah i would say there's interesting stuff on here it's just kind of still buried i like the women's title match i thought that was pretty well done but yeah i i would go four and a half i mean it's not a bad show like to watch in a vacuum now i think but i'm guessing as you're going through each one it kind of gets a little bit repetitive right it just doesn't feel like a whole lot is happening like and like i said i feel like the biggest thing they have going on is evolution they're kind of just i feel like they're not really pushing it as that big of a deal which is strange it just seems so counter to how you would think they would so yeah you especially a heel triple h like group you would think they would be shoving it down your throat yeah Maybe I just need to wait a little longer. I'm, I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> I don't think I'll have to wait too. Uh, I don't think I'll have to wait too long. All right, but we'll see how uh, we'll see how SmackDown fares here. So this will be the January 30th, 2003 SmackDown live from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Um, and we start with a match between Rey Mysterio and the A Train. The big A Train push happening right now. Uh, so this is kind of. They, they work kind of like your standard big man. I say standard, but you have Rey Mysterio, so it's like that on steroids. Like, Rey's trying to get an early advantage, diving at A-Train on the outside right from the beginning before he can get in the ring. Uh, like, I thought it was well done, though. Like, Rey's offense looks good trying to knock down the giant, but when Train does catch him, it feels, like, impactful because it's so hard for him to get his grips on Rey. And just, like, he's Rey's doing, like, that normal, like, little man trying to get the big man down, but he's so, like the ways he, he does are so interesting. Like, you know, he's constantly working his way around them, going after like doing the double drop kicks to the legs. He just makes it feel even more um, exciting than you would normally think from this, but it's just too many times as eventually a train catches them and hits them with the, uh, the train wreck. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it ends that just uh, putting over a train again, because the a train pushes on and they kind of chalk it up to, you know, kind of protecting Ray by saying, I mean, he's overmatched in this because of the size disadvantage. So they kind of protect Ray in that way. Uh, but I ended up going two stars on it. I thought it was pretty interesting as far as like a big man, little man, sort of glorified squash. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I went two and a half. Nice mm-hmm. big man, little man. And like you said, with Ray Mysterio, it's like the best version of big man, little man. And Albert was moving pretty well here, I thought. He wasn't really... He was a good base for Ray with all his head scissors and whatnot. So, that was pretty well done. Yep, agreed. Just a nice little... It wasn't very long. It was maybe like, I don't know, three or four minutes. But a hot way to start the night. Um, and we keep on rolling on. So, we get uh, Josh Matthews backstage. He asks Heyman if Show will face Taker tonight. Heyman says No. Taker just wants revenge, and he wants to hurt his client, and so he has given Show the night off. So Big Show will not be here. So Big coward, Big Show. Um, anything on that, Ryan? 
kind of straightforward there by Heyman. Yeah, it was okay. Good enough. Yeah, and it was and it's a typical anytime they say I think they even say on commentary, well if Heyman said he's probably lying, so Big Show must be here if Heyman said he's not here. So the normal <laughs> wrestling thing where anytime they say a guy's not here, you assume they are. So we'll see how it pans out. Yeah, if the heel um, says someone isn't here, they're here. Right, right. So um all right, so then we go to our next match again. Very, um, you see the ring focus, uh, the match focus of uh, SmackDown. Just um, rapid fire with these matches. We get Cena versus Eddie, who they've kind of had a little feud simmering between the Guerreros and Cena. Uh, Cena comes out and does his raps. He sits, spits some uh, very racist rhymes um, and then craps on the Packers here. Um, I believe it was the, uh, they mentioned a few times. I think it comes up later, but I want to say this is when uh, the Packers had lost to. Uh, it's like the Michael Vick game, I think. The Michael right on the Vick field. game, so, yep. yep, yep. It was their right first. The... Uh, I think it was the Packers' first loss at home in the playoffs, like ever. Oh wow! Yeah, I remember watching that one, and I remember just or at Lambeau, um, at least. Yeah, and like, uh, like I think Vick was only twenty-two at that point, or something. I remember watching that one when I was younger, and. Um, Everyone just being like astounded. And I remember like, and like they got crushed too. It was like 20 to three or something like that. Yeah, they killed them. I remember it was an early birthday present for, uh, to Chicago Bears <laughs> fan me. Right. And so, uh, yeah, Cena kind of uses that. But the uh, I won't repeat his um, very offensive uh, uh, Hispanic stereotypes. Uh, but anyway, he pays for it as Eddie's all over him, starts elbowing in the back of the head. Uh, right from the beginning, Cena hits a flapjack to turn the tide, and uh, his new protege, Red Dog, gets some cheap shots on the outside. But to help Eddie, he has Chavo on the outside to kind of neutralize Red Dog throughout this. So it's not like Eddie's having to work against these two guys. But uh, I thought Cena's looking better in this match. Like I feel like he has a bit, he's more varied in his arsenal. Like uh, he has kind of a delayed vertical suplex in here. I just felt like he had some more memorable moves. Like he didn't seem quite as generic as he can seem sometimes. But uh, and it doesn't hurt when you have Eddie bumping for you, too, to make all your stuff look fantastic. But uh, Eddie makes his comeback. He's uh, He gets out of it. They kind of do the uh, typical Cena puts him in the headlock, and he kind of the crowd gets behind him. He recovers. Red Dog, Red Dog interferes, which allows Cena to go up top. But uh, Chavo trips Cena off the top. He tumbles down. Eddie hits the frog splash for the one, two, three. Uh, good straightforward match. Um I, I do think it's very shrewd of them to put Cena with Eddie at this point as they're trying to help him along with this new heel character and maybe get better in the ring. It's, you know, I can't imagine a better guy, a better partner to have in that than having a feud with Eddie, who's so damn good. But I ended up going two and a quarter. I thought it was a good, straightforward match, good win for Eddie, and can kind of pushes this feud along. And I think Cena is slowly but surely getting better. Yeah, I went two and a half. I thought this was pretty good yeah i liked how you know first eddie comes out with a lot more aggression kind of than usual because of the because of the rap i'm guessing and you know and then cena yeah he's showing that he's getting new moves in the arsenal pretty good and then you know cena gets or eddie gets tripped up so then chavo helps eddie uh cheat to win and get the victory and show that like they're still willing to do what they have to to win, but they're yeah, you kind of, faces now. You kind, yeah, you kind of forget that they're tag champs right here. It's kind of been backburner a bit, but 
Um, I think they're moving towards something, but I kind of forgot as I was watching this. I was like, oh, yeah, they are the tag champions right now. Kind of forgot. But, yeah, another good match. Kind of two pretty good, quick, straightforward matches to open the show. Uh, but uh, we then cut back to Paul backstage. He's uh, on the phone worried about Big Show. But then he sees some some <laughs> random young guys in the hall and decides to speak with a young man who um, Heyman seems to recognize. And he asks him if he was the one who was trained by Shawn Michaels. And it uh, uh, turns out to be Brian Kendrick uh, in a very uh, loud flower sweater. It's like a, I guess, like a knitted sweater with like a giant <laughs> like yellow flower on it. So yeah, it's very gosh. 70s. <laughs> yes, um, uh, and kind of knowing Brian Kendrick's uh, personality, maybe yeah. fitting, but um, Heyman puts himself over and says that he could make guys, he's made many people, and he's got a job for Mr. Kendrick, and <laughs> Kendrick's so corny here, like, he's very like, uh, well, gee, Paul, anything, mister, if you can help <laughs> me uh, get over, that's fine, I'll do whatever you say, but, so, obviously, this poor guy is going to be a patsy for Paul, you're getting, I mean, obviously, but I thought it was well done. Like Paul taking advantage of this naive kid. Yeah, you can tell he's got something up his sleeve, and this kid's going to get his ass kicked one way or the other. Right. And we'll get to it in a minute, but I can't say that I knew what was coming because it ends up being quite strange. Uh, anyway, all right. We see that Vince is in the building tonight. He confronts his daughter, Steffi, about bringing back Hogan. And she is confused as to why he would be so upset about bringing back Hogan whenever Bischoff has brought down, brought back uh, Stone Cold, who, you know, he has much more of a conflict with, who uh, walked out in the company and all this. And she's just trying to beat Eric. She's trying to show, um, you know, like ruthless aggression, like uh, he said that she should and have the better show. And the whole time with it is impossible to not think about the current situation going on with the McMahons, um, with the McMahon family and Stephanie and Vincent all get in this promo as it's like him criticizing her performance and all that. I just <laughs> yeah. thought it was, you know, but anyway, Vince says he has no a big surprise. <laughs> right. So I couldn't separate it from that, but it was just, you know, pushing this whole, uh, Vince has a big surprise. So we're going to see what his big surprise is going to be. A lot of big surprises on these shows, or at least we're told everybody's got a bombshell. So, yep. I don't know if you had any, anything else on this uh, McMahon exchange, Ryan. No, just kind of, you know, it's still kind of always dicey as to what exactly Stephanie's character is. Like, is she conniving? Is she, like, for the fans now, against the fans? Like, like this, it seems yeah. like now she's kind of going to more just face, you know, getting home because that's what the fans want. Yeah, she's very um, uh, fluid, we'll say, as far as her yeah. <laughs> from week to week. They kind of just change it, whatever fits their needs. Yeah. All right, so, um, all right, we get another match coming out. It's going to be a Kitten versus our little mf or Shannon Moore. Um, I love to, like, it's, it's so perfect. Like, when they're coming out, you think it's going to be Matt Hardy, the match, because he gets the full entrance with his music, and they do the Matt facts, saying that... Um, uh, Matt thinks Shannon has an iota of Mattitude as our Matt fact, but like he gets the full entrance and it's uh it's not even his match. It's Shannon Moore's match. So I thought that was like perfect to fit his character. Yeah. Um, and, a, and a bit off topic here, but they also do like a, um they do these like little ads that Cole and Taz read. There was one for Axe body spray. And I was thinking like, man, this is pretty early. Like 
this must have been just when Axe body spray was coming out. Like this seems very early, like Oh three. I feel like that's right. When Axe was becoming this like uh, big thing. I, I was like in middle school going into high school. So if you ever wanted yeah, to, I would have uh, been, I would have been in high school. And it was, <laughs> yeah. It was big right around here. I think, cause I would have been in high school in 2003. So right. I definitely remember it becoming a thing. Right. I feel like it coincided like Spike TV coming out, Axe Body Spray. Yeah, I just remember like the um when you would dress out for PE and like after PE, like everybody was spraying that everywhere. And like if you had to let a match, the room would have probably ignited, like exploded. Um and I also feel like I knew guys who would just like not shower and just think that they could Yeah, they spray <laughs> themselves with axe. <laughs> yeah, and not have to shower, which doesn't work. Anyway, um they're really going like this is the like I've liked Michael Cole. Like I think he's good in this era, but you're starting to see like with the Shannon Moore thing, it's like the shades of what people hate about current Michael Cole, where he's like obviously been told to say something, but he's like not doesn't know how to be subtle about it. And so like they obviously told him, like, all right, we're pushing this storyline where like like we want you to push like Shannon Moore is like a follower and he just wants to fit in and Matt's taking advantage of him, but like he just hammers it over your head. Like Shannon just wants to fit in. I don't know why Matt Hardy is acting like that. Like it's just very, <laughs> it's just not, <laughs> it just sounds so phony. And it's like one yeah. of the first times he's done it in this run. Like he's kind of good for it, but you're starting to see what would become the things that people don't like about him. He's getting this match, but uh, you see Shannon Moore working heel here, which I think it's, you know, it's very all over the place kind of strike base. I don't think it really fits his strengths. Uh, but Kidman makes a comeback. He hits a fireman carry backbreaker, uh, like back or neck breaker kind of thing that looked pretty good. Shannon can't put him away when he tries. He goes for a flipping neck breaker. He can't put him away there. Uh, nice reversal by Kidman here. I thought Kidman looked really good in this match. He hits like a uh, he reverses and hits like a step up in Zaguri that looked real nice. He uh, kicks Hardy off off the apron and then wins with the shooting star press. So uh, yeah, I thought if anything, this was like a showcase for Kidman. I thought he looked fantastic. Like I thought his comebacks and his moves looked real good in this. And like I said a minute ago, I, I feel like they aren't giving Shannon more much. I feel like the role he's in here as kind of this heel. I know they played up in the storyline. He's trying to, he's trying to be aggressive to kind of, um, to impress Matt and everything. But I think like in ring, this is not really helping him. He needs to be doing like cool, flashy moves and stuff, not necessarily strike. So it's not kind of fitting his strengths. Like, I do the uh, TNA pod on the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed, uh, Highway to the Impact Zone, and uh, he reminded me very much of like a Michael Shane, who's like a guy that I don't think is like a bad wrestler, like when I watch him in TNA, but he just never does much that's like memorable. He just kind of does standard moves, and I don't know. I feel like Shannon Moore should be doing like some cool high flying and stuff, and this is not happening here. But two and a half for no other reason. I thought Kidman looked pretty damn good in this match. Yeah, I went two and a half also. I liked it. Um, yeah, more, it's weird. It's like they told him, all right, you got to be a heel in this match, so no high-flying moves. Just, But it's weird because they didn't, like, really do that for, like, Noble got to wrestle his type of matches when he was a heel cruiserweight champ. So I don't know where, like, that thinking comes in. Yeah, it's it's odd counterintuitive i think yeah um but yeah it was 
yeah, it's they keep pushing. Like I said, the the whole point of this too is to just hammer Michael Cole saying five hundred times, Shannon just wants to fit in. And even Taz is like, well, I don't know, if he wants to fit in, <laughs> leave him. Like I don't know. He's like, Matt, Matt's just trying to teach him the way to act. I don't know what to tell you, Cole. Like, I feel like Taz is even annoyed with him. But uh, of course, after the match, uh, Matt hits Kidman and then kind of scolds Shannon more, and um, uh, gives um, gives Kidman the twist of fate. But uh, I, I think the Matt character here is fun, but I think they need something. I feel like he's kind of I don't want to say he's floundering, but he's just kind of floating right now. He, I feel like he needs yeah, he something needs... a little mm, some more substantial. No, go ahead. Yeah, he needs something more than just arguing with Shannon more. That's not gonna get him over you know that's kind of that as high as it's gonna go anyways you gotta do something else yeah right i feel like he needs like a, a few they're just kind of doing this rinse repeat shane and more thing and i i guess maybe eventually i don't really remember maybe it's gonna be like a, a dibiase virgil thing where shane and more breaks off from him but uh, i feel like they need yeah he he's such a good character he needs something a little more to sink his teeth into almost like was thinking he has it's like he injured or something and that's where they're kind of doing this where he doesn't have to do a whole lot in, in ring but i don't know if he was injured but it's like to that point where i thought he could be injured of how much they're they're kind of um like relying on this as opposed to him being in matches yeah he might have been a little banged up and they're just giving him some time off you know but yeah, because it'd be unusual for him to not wrestle two weeks in a row. Right. Yeah. All right. So here comes Vince with his big announcement. He heads out. The crowd immediately heckles him with the Hogan signs and the chants. And uh, he, he's so good because he immediately, like, Vince is so good at working the crowd. Because as soon as he sees they're all about it, he starts screaming. At, he does the thing where he, like, screams, but not into the mic. He's just screaming at the crowd, which, of course, just makes him, you know, even more fervent, which is awesome. But, um. He gets on the mic, he says, Hulkamania is on life support and that people don't know Hogan like he knows him. As a businessman, Hogan is cold, calculating, man-eating predator. Is a cold, calculated, man-eating predator. But as a human being, he's depraved, a twisted bottom feeder. <laughs> so I just love it. Like, um, you think he's going to say something nice, of course, but it's just all negative. He doesn't get the, the red and the yellow, the eating the vitamins. He doesn't understand any of that and that he will kill Hulkamania. He's uh, it just like tearing apart the whole Hulkamania ethos about this, that it's all fake and everything. He created Hulkamania and how dare he challenge me and strike me down just real good over the top, like megalomaniac Vince here. And he wants to know if, and they want to know if he is going to accept the challenge. Well, for Hulk, there will be no way out. So kind of a vague response here. Um, so let's stop here before we get what he's going to reveal is his response here. But what did you think of this uh this uh, promo here by Vince kind of running down Hulkamania. I thought it was good. It was kind of just getting across why he doesn't like Hulk Hogan, even though, you know, he brought him in a year ago to be the poison to inject into the veins of the WWE, you know, but it's kind of weird, but they kind of started hinting at it last summer, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of following. And they could go back to that if they want, or just kind of go to this overall, like, who created Hulkamania story. Yeah, I feel like with Vince, they always have, like, if there are, like, these logic flaws, they can always just fall back on Vince. Like, well, he's just, like, an in- <laughs> he's an insane person. So, yeah, like, he, he doesn't even remember what happened, like, a year ago. Because he's just a lunatic. 
and he, yeah, he's real. He's so good at the crowd stuff too. Like, like throughout this, I didn't really say it, but like, he's obviously throwing the crowd bait to like cheer Hulk. Like, Oh, what do you think? He's a legend. And they're like, he's a legend. Like he's so good at working the crowd. But, um, so, but I kind of dug it because I, I, I always dig any situation where like you have the Vince character reacting to some kind of like real life thing or like, the Vince character, like meeting something from the Federation era is like super interesting to me because it's so, it's like such a simple story, like this battle of like these two egos and, you know, cause it's, it, it goes back to like an argument that wrestling fans have, like who's responsible for them exploding and becoming so popular. Like did Vince make Hogan or did Hogan make Hogan? Like who helped the other? And so they're kind of building off that, which I think is like a simple, but very effective story. And like one that we all as wrestling fans kind of have in our mind. So I think it works on that level, which I kind of dig. But um, uh, he then reveals that at no way out Hulk will face the rock, which gets um, a big pop. And it's another, I know Austin didn't return yet, but they, I mean, we all, but know he's going to return. So you really see him like unloading the chamber here. Like you get Austin's obviously coming back. The rock's coming back. Taker just came back. Kogan's back. Like all of a sudden we have all these big names just, back in the fold for mania but um but before vince leaves he um he reveals to us that he actually has um he has rock here via satellite so you at least get him via satellite on this one ryan he's not here but at least it's not just the magazine but that gets a huge pop um as we get um we get hogan i mean sorry we get rock live from hollywood before we go into this uh any thoughts on this whole um like him revealing the rock um i thought i got a pretty good reaction from the crowd yeah, I thought it was good and, like, surprising. I don't think, because the kind of way he was building it up, you could tell it was going to be someone that he chose, and you're think, I was thinking, like, the big show or something, you know, probably along those lines. But, no, this is a good surprise announcement for sure. <laughs> He's like, and now my uh, proxy to face Hulk Hogan, Chuck Palumbo. <laughs> Chucky. <laughs> Anyway, all right, so we get our Rock Live via satellite. He is live from Hollywood. He does the whole finally. He's back in Green Bay, but he gets a subtle dig in here. He says that uh, not really that he's in Green Bay, and thank God because it's too cold in Green Bay. Um, he says that he doesn't answer to Vince, only to people. And he does the, the usual Rock deal of putting over the, like he puts over the history between he and Hogan, like hypes it up the match, and then ends up accepting a match. Like kind of going back to, you know, well, we, we have a repeat of um, WrestleMania 18, the two biggest icons ever, the biggest match, like, you know, just hyping up everything in that special rock way. Um, uh, he uh, he kind of uh, mocks Hogan by saying um, it will be the biggest icon that wrestling's ever seen in Hulk Hogan. Um, he mocks the Hulk up, but he says that just like WrestleMania, it will be the same result. Rock will win. But, uh, yeah, I thought this is a pretty baseline Rock promo, which is still pretty awesome. I mean, Rock, even at kind of just a standard Rock promo, is still really good just because he has such a great cadence and he gets over everything so well. Um, like, he didn't really have any, like, classic Rock lines in this or anything, but it was still fine for what it was. And the main thing is just that he's back and the crowd was just dying to see him. So, uh, yeah. yeah, just another big name coming back from mania and it, they were anxious to see him, but then he's able to make him turn on him, you know, mm -hmm. Oh no, the rock ain't in green Bay. We remember how cold it was last <laughs> year. Right. 
kind of slightly sown the seeds for this his character in this return, right? Like it's real subtle, but he just yeah, there's a few, the, just a moment where you maybe see like um, you know, that kind of heel Hollywood rock starting to come out. Oh man, I can't I cannot wait to get to Hollywood rock. Yeah, Hollywood rock is one of the best two months <laughs> of a wrestler ever. Let me ask you this: um, the so this rematch. I, Maybe either, maybe at the time, what were your feelings on this? Were you hyped for this, like as a returning match? Just, or you, mm-hmm. I was kind of looking forward to it, but I was kind of like, this isn't one of the matches from last year that I really felt like needed a rematch. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, it was great at WrestleMania. Like, why try it again, though? Right. And, and I feel like with these two guys, it's going to be tough because... I feel like they're not two where you're like, well, they can do a different match. Like, no, the match they had at Mania was like the Hogan Rock match. Like, you know, it's not like, well, this time they're going to work a street fight. You know, they're going to do a technical right, yeah, match. That, you know, uh, you know, their WrestleMania is, match was mm-hmm. the best possible outcome for those two guys. Yeah, I get it from that. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to um to revisit that one. But Rock is back. All right, so we we kind of tone things down here as we go to the uh, uh, one of our C level feuds here on SmackDown, which is uh, Bill Demont versus Rikishi, uh, a, ro- a rematch that no one wanted or needed, but we're getting it here. Um, um, they sell Demont has a cast on his injured arm here, uh, lots of slow strikes, kind of lackluster um, um, start to this one. They do like an ab stretch, just not real inspired, no real intensity, but they do pick it up. I thought in the later part, I think it picks up. Okay. We get like a nice suplex by Demott. Rikishi had an electric chair drop. So they, they're dropping a few bombs later in the match after kind of a slow start. Uh, Rikishi takes over, but Demott holds the ropes as Rikishi goes for a DDT and uh, similar to Trish uh, on raw. Rikishi takes a pretty sick, uh, like a nasty spill onto his head and smacks his head on the mat. And they kind of, Playoff that he's knocked out. Demont goes for the pin. He uses the ropes for leverage and takes it with that. So, uh, yeah, that slow start kind of hindered it for me. But uh, I, I gave it a star and a half just for those few cool moves for at the end there. But uh, just really no juice to this. Like, no one is really invested in this. It just feels like complete filler. Yeah, I had no interest in this. As soon as it, mm-hmm. I saw Rikishi came out, come out, I was like, Oh, I guess I said to myself, oh, God, I, bet, I better not be Bill Demott. And sure enough, here he comes out for the third week in a row because this, you know, this feud is what everyone wants to see. Yeah, it was just bad. I, I, I gave it a done. I, I was just so annoyed by these two people. I don't want them <laughs> on my TV anymore. Yeah, Demott is just like charisma vacuum. Yeah. Like he's... It's a, like, it keeps saying it every week. Like, he's not, it's like he's not even really like bad, bad in the ring. I mean, he could be boring at times, like in this match, but there's just something about him that's just, I just don't care at all. I don't know what it is, but, um, but at a funny moment, Taker comes out on the motorcycle and almost smokes him. Uh, he has to jump out <laughs> of the way, which I thought was a funny moment. But, uh, he comes out to the ring. He tries to call out Big Show again. He's uh, sitting on the steps here, kind of um, like you'd be sitting on a curb. And he says this is where he's supposed to um, say a bunch of stuff to entertain the fans with his wit and intellect, which uh, it's an oddly like meta comment from, from The Undertaker here. I thought it was strange, like kind of just <laughs> questioning the whole concept of a wrestling promo right here. But anyway, he says that his new mantra is shut up and fight. 
And uh, we hear show's music, but it is not show. It is Paul Heyman, who restates that show is not here, but he does have a personal messenger. Or he has a personal message, and he sends out his personal messenger. So um, um, before we see his personal messenger, any thoughts on this uh, anti-promo by Taker? Yeah, it was weird seeing existential Undertaker. (laughs) Wondering what the point of a wrestling interview promo is and what it means in life. Right. But yeah. And then, I mean, it got off, it got the point across that he was trying to like that. He wants just, he just wants to beat up the big show. And then Heyman does the nice little bait and switch. To just piss him off more. It's about, we never got that as one of his uh, gimmick changes. The, uh, yeah. the, Amer- the American existentialist. Taker. <laughs> <laughs> Pondering his uh, reason. Why wrestle? Yeah, why wrestle? Why should the one rest in peace? Right. And he is like sitting on the steps. Ah, it's strange. It's just totally not what he normally does. Anyway, all right. So we get, of course, we know it's going to be Brian Kendrick uh, that Heyman recruited earlier. But I was not expecting what it, how they end up doing. So Brian Kendrick comes out. He's on like a old school kind of bike dressed up like a bellhop. (laughs) And he comes out to the ring. It uh, does like a weird like sing song telegram where he just he says like yeah. he's he's <laughs> he's sorry he's sorry he'll never do it again I guess apologizing for Big Show Taker watches stoically he's not amused by any of this and he says that when he meets the Undertaker <laughs> um, uh, he says that when <laughs> uh, sorry when Big Show meets the Undertaker it he's gonna he'll be the one that's truly sorry Kendrick then asks him for a tip. And Taker actually says that he has a lot of guts for coming out and doing this stupid shit. And so he gives him $100, and he wants to hear the song again. So Kendrick goes to do the song again. And, of course, Taker gives him the last ride and takes the money back. So just all of this put together is just such an odd (laughs) segment. Like, from the weird, like, meta promo by Taker and then Brian Kendrick coming out on a bike dressed like a uh, bellhop and then singing this song, just everything about it, it's like, I feel like there was like some company initiative to make any young rookie guy look like a fucking idiot. Like, like put him in this silly shit. Like just all of this was just strange. Like I had no yeah, recollection this was, of this either. <laughs> I think I kind of remembered it just as like, I remember seeing that picture. I think when he was in two Oh five live, maybe of like how, how far he's come from. Being like a 150-pound bellhop to, you know, a decorated wrestler and trainer at the time. So, yeah, it's really weird, though. This this seems like it's something that Vince McMahon himself wrote up. Like, who else <laughs> right. is going to... Like, none of the 25-year-old sitcom writers are even going to know what the fuck a bellhop is, you know? Like, <laughs> I only know it from, you know... Like movies from the fifties in New York, and that's kind of my right. experience with them. He's kind of dressed like the gold, gold dust. Like um, uh, who's the little guy that used to be with the gold dust? The um, like the, the show usher or guy, the right? usher? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he's kind it of was, It just felt all of it was just odd and surreal. Like, and it doesn't even seem like something the Heyman character would do. Like, this is not really like Heyman the character's mo is to do like. Weird, silly shit. I don't know. What a strange segment. I don't even know. Um, But anyway, I guess it pushes along the big show. um, 
the uh, yeah, I didn't think I'd really miss the big show, but I don't know, maybe a promo by him uh-huh. or like a brawl with him and the Undertaker would be better than this. All right. Yeah, if if you're a young guy in WWE in the early 2000s, like you really uh you got to go through, <laughs> you got to be put through the ringer to uh, prove yourself, I guess. All right. Anyway, in a much more uh, um, quick change of pace here, we head backstage where we have uh, Team Angle hyping up his boys and Team Angle for their big uh, number one contenders match tonight. He says if they win this, they will have the chance for championship gold, just like he has with his gold medals and his championship belt. Um, he said that although he has beaten Edge and Benoit countless times, they're tough. Um, just great. Uh, Kurt um, being smug. He talks about the, uh, just, I love this so much. Like, even when he's kind of cutting like this serious promo, he just throws in a few, like <laughs> these funny little quips in here. Like he's, he talks about the Packers. He's like, this is where the Packers would play. And this is a town of champions. It used to be, there was once they had a coach, this fat old man named Lombardi. <laughs> um, not, not like these new sucky Packers that, uh, <laughs> that lose They can't even win in the playoffs on their own home field. Just great stuff. But, um, he quotes somebody is love. Cause he kind of did takes a dig, but then he does give the quote winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. And tonight that they're going to win for Kurt, but just awesome. Kurt stuff, just like overall, like serious. And like you buy that he's really hyping his guys up, but always throwing in. So like nonchalantly, these like few like goofy lines talking about fat Lombardi, um, like just being a smug dick, like it's just everything I love about a Kurt Angle like promo and stuff, just all in this. It's just fantastic. Yeah, it's great. I love, you know, Angle is so good. Yeah, having these serious. I mean, he's giving a talk, pep talk to his guys, getting them ready, so you know the story that he's going for. But then, yeah, I'll put these, those little jabs in there just to spice it up a little bit. Right. So good. And and like, he doesn't, I feel like he doesn't like linger on him either. Like he just kind of throws him in there underneath. Like he doesn't try and overemphasize it and like hit you over the head with it. It's just like these subtle little, it's great. Like even as I'll, we'll get to another one in just a moment. But, uh, um, so before we get to that big match, our main event, we get a recap last week of, uh, Brock's promo where he talks about wanting to meet all his goals, which we discussed it last week, but any opinion on that? We kind of talked last time about how it's a, a bit of an odd kind of switch for Brock Lesnar to be to, for them to approach it this way. Like he's kind of been this beast character. And then he has this promo talking about meeting his goals and kind of coming off as more, more of an athlete. Um, you have any thoughts on that kind of approach to Brock Ryan? Yeah, I think like, I kind of get it that they want to, like kind of humanize him as if he's going to be the face. But at this point, at least with angle, he could, he has the story of like how they attacked him and double triple teamed him with team angle. So it's like, yeah, you're competing for the title, but you should also just want to win because of that. Right. And yeah, I, I don't think they should stray too much from the B stuff because it's what's gotten them over. Like, the crowd loves him as a face of him being like a badass that just destroys people. But um, yeah, just want to get your opinion. It's something we'll see how where they go with it. But uh, and then of course we get another Sean O'Hara uh, video package. Same, yeah, the same, same one from Raw, right? right? Just yeah, pretty much. I'm, I'm also <laughs> at the point where I can't. <laughs> I feel like if he says something different, it stands out to me. But if it's one I've seen, I just kind of blank out. Like yeah. Uh, anyway. All right, so we go to our big main event. It's going to be Team Angle versus Edge and Benoit. The winners will be able to face the Guerreros for the um, 
the tag team titles. And Kurt is going to join us on commentary. <laughs> Just so good. Like I said earlier, these little, these lines like that, like he sits down and, um, and like Taz is like, oh yeah, the captain, of these guys, he goes, yes, they call me captain Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> so, so so good like just completely dry too yeah they call me captain kurt um the best but anyway um benoit is all over haas to start this uh until the team angle trapped benoit in the corner they go to work kurt doesn't like edge's hot tag and so he um he heads out he, he, he's only a commentary for like two minutes until he gets like frustrated what's going on in the ring and then goes ringside but uh, edge spears him off the apron so he immediately gets hit. Uh, Benoit hits a. Um, it was interesting. Benoit hits the like uh, the suicide dive, and it kind of struck me because it's like in this era you don't see it in every single match like we do nowadays. So it kind of stood out to me in this one. And uh, he took a, of course, Benoit. He takes a huge bump on it, like slams into the announce table. Course, but yeah, yeah, it was just kind of stood out to me in this era where I was like, oh man, look a suicide dive, and it's not like in every single match. But uh, anyway, they kind of reset here. And Team Angle are after Edge now. They're really going to cross their chops here as they start uh, breaking down Edge's um, uh, going after his arm here. And they're also trying to push here that Edge is starting out, trying to out-wrestle them. Like he's trying to beat them at their own game. And just like a lot of struggle for jockeying for momentum here as they kind of work for leverage. They do a real good job at it too. Um, but they turn around. They start working on Edge's uh, leg to swing momentum. And they do a pretty long segment where they're working down edge's leg but it really looks good because they look so natural because they are amateur wrestlers like all their holes and stuff look legit they look snug like they look like they know what they're doing obviously but uh and you also have angle on the outside urging them to break edge's leg which is a good little touch and uh he, only, he even gets his own shots in taking edge's uh leg and slam into the apron uh we finally get an enziguri by edge that gives him a little bit of life and finally gets a hot tag to uh benoit but even then benoit gets a few shots and they kind of overwhelm him like just really getting over that shelton and haas even though they're rookies are kind of like you know these are legit dudes like um really holding their own against these two stars but uh like uh, Shelton lays, uh, but they have a misfire. Shelton lays Haas out with a kick. And then we hit a real hot sequence to close this as Edge takes out Angle. He has the diving headbutt. Uh, Shelton's able to kick out of the, the headbutt. So again, you see that they really have a lot of faith in these guys to already give them a spot where they're kicking out of, um, you know, uh, Benoit's finisher here. But uh, things break down, which finally allows Angle to sneak in and uh, hit the uh hit the belt shot and laid Benoit out and allows team angle to pick up the win and the number one contender spot. And, uh, I thought it was a, a fitting into it because you knew when angle got down there, even though he's had, he had a few miscues where he got speared, you knew in the end, he was going to end up being the difference and he wasn't going to let his guys lose this. So, um, yeah, I, I dug this, Ryan. Uh, what did you think of this match? Yeah, I thought it was great. Nice. You know, <laughs> Follow the tag team formula, and then at the end, they had a nice hot finish where a lot of, like, everyone's hitting all their different moves. And then at the end, Angle just is able to get sneak that belt shot in and end it there. Yeah, I, I went uh, mm-hmm. three and three quarters for this one. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. I went, like, three and a half, so same ballpark. Um yeah, I thought it was really good. Like, I thought maybe it was, if I were to dig it on something, maybe not the most cohesive, because it did kind of feel like you had a few different parts of this match that maybe didn't all string together. Like, you kind of have the back and forth at the beginning, then the leg work, and then things kind of break down at the end. Like, so maybe 
you know, if I were to give it some, but the action was great. Like, um, it was a long match. It kept its energy throughout the entire match for how long it was. And, you know, for two young guys to sit in there and, you know, they are in there with two super talented guys that can kind of carry it. But uh, Team Angle really brought it for getting like a 15, 20 minute tag match and like never look lost, never look like they didn't know what to do next. Or, you know, they like they seem like they know how to do like transitions well, too. Like, I feel like one of the, a lot of young guys, they can seem a little lost in the in between segments of this, but they look damn good. And that thought it told a good story with Angle being the difference in the end. But, yeah, a really awesome main event here to close out the show and continue the big push for Team Angle. Um who have been kind of like the highlight of SmackDown for me lately. So, um, but yeah, that's how we, we end the show here, Ryan. Uh, I would say a pretty, a pretty solid SmackDown. Um, we pushed some stuff along. We got Taker calling out big show, you know, Vince, the big rock return, a hot main event to, um, you know, to push along team angle, what they have going on. A few kind of interesting matches on the undercard, hot main event. And um, I think that makes for a pretty good show. So I went uh, six out of 10 on this one, Ryan. Yeah, I thought a lot of good matches as long as they didn't involve build them at really. <laughs> right. Everything was outside of that was, you know, perfectly acceptable. But and then yeah, the big return of the rock kind of kind of surprisingly out of nowhere. Like it wasn't really hyped up or anything that well, mm-hmm. I guess they were saying Vince had a surprise, but yeah, and then a really great main event. Yeah, I went six and a half out of ten. Very good. Yep, good shot from SmackDown uh, as they're building some good momentum here. But uh, all right, so with that, Ryan, we can get to our awards for this. I think best match based on our rings is pretty easy. Going to be that tag match we just talked about? Yes, sir. Yep. Um, best moment, I think I'm going to go. I think you got to go with the Rock return. Yeah, the Rock's promo is just great. Yeah. I think a Even lot the, of mm-hmm. Hollywood Rock's going to get a lot of. Uh, Awards in the coming months, I think. I think you're probably right. Um, best show, I think we both had SmackDown pretty easily. Yes. Um, LVP, I'm going to go with, if I were to go, go with the two guys, I mean, not really their fault, but uh, the tough enough guys, they just look like they were not even like wrestlers, really. Like, on like put it this way. They they look like, like, gym, w- like a gymnast <laughs> would do a wrestling match. Right. So, but my LVP is going to be, I just put tough enough. The entire idea of tough enough. (laughs) It's my LVP. I can definitely get behind that. And just the segment and and Tommy Dreamer. I mean, good God. Like, uh, he's just, he's done. I don't know. 2003 Tommy Dreamer does not compute. With this generic WWE shirt on, yeah, so like the WWE logo and American yeah. flag colors. <laughs> or then he'll, but then the week before and after the pay per view, he gets to wear the official pay per view shirt. <laughs> right, a long way from Mister Cool, like um, Tommy Drew yeah. and ECW for sure. Um, uh, MVP, I just went with Team Angle. Maybe a bit of a cheat, but I just feel like, like I said, to me, they're kind of like the highlight of SmackDown. Killed in the main event, and they're the most entertaining thing on SmackDown right now. Yeah, I mean, the best match on SmackDown and Kurt beforehand with the promo, it just adds to it even better. Right, and kind of an out-of-nowhere thing, too. Like, they just showed up a few weeks ago as, like, Angle's guys, and all of a sudden they're, like, killing it. It's pretty awesome. Just He just brings these, like, two awesome wrestlers out as his, like, buddies. It's pretty cool. Uh, 
One upping Triple H is your no. <laughs> anyway, um, some other standouts like uh, our top five. So I specifically said Angle. I know I said Team Angle, but I'm gonna say Angle. I thought Ray was really good in that match, even though it was only a few minutes. Edge and Benoit were super good. I thought in uh, carrying along that tag match, and I again maybe a bit of a cheat, but it was hard for me to really say. But I wanted to give somebody or something from Raw some kind of credit, so I just want Evolution because. I guess they're kind of looking dominant and looking like a force. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I had, I kept Team Angle off since I put them for MVP, but I had uh, Edge and Benoit and, uh, and, yeah, Ray. And then, or no, actually I had Eddie. I thought Eddie's mm-hmm. match with Cena was, Pretty good and mm. help highlight help Cena's if he, he has more matches like that Cena's gonna come along in the ring mm-hmm. and then yeah I, I just gave the the random raw spot to Jericho I thought his inner his promo mm, was pretty good. good and then at the main after the at the end of the show beating up Steiner it's at least doing something for the next week's show oh you know Trish and Victoria too that uh that oh, match yeah. was good they killed it that was a one of the highlights of Raw, actually. So, give the ladies some credit as well. Um, but that wraps us up, Ryan. Um, thanks for coming on. Do you have anything that you would like to share you have going on or social media, Twitter? Uh, yeah, I have uh, <laughs> no tout videos. Um, and the place to be wrestling network, me and my wife have uh, with this ring where we, well, now we're breaking down certain guys' cases for the WWE, the GWWE. So right now we're did uh, our Bret Hart episode came out last week. So it's a good listen if you want to hear two different people's takes on Bret Hart and where he stands. Very good. Yeah, um, we're starting to get a uh, pretty hot and heavy with the GWD content as we're about halfway through the year. Yeah, it's usually when things start picking up, people really start getting it in. But you have. You have that going on. We have, I know, Noel's Bard. They're kind of doing it. Um, it's kind of their rotation of stuff. Um, yeah, so a lot of GWW content coming out. I think it's going to be, I think the good part about it this time is that everybody at least has like a starting point because they can look back at their old list. So it's maybe not as intimidating as it was the first time because you can kind of look right, back yeah, at your yeah. list and you at least have like a draft to go from. So I would highly encourage anybody to go. If if you didn't participate last time, do it. It's It's a lot of fun. Don't feel try not to stress out about it too much because it can yeah. it can be a little overwhelming, but it's real fun. Just think of who you think the greatest wrestler. Is. It doesn't you know have to be so down to the criteria. Right. Nobody. If you're participating, no one's. If you're participating and not trolling, no one's gonna. Yeah, it's all good. That's all we ask for. But yeah, so check that out. Also check out any other shows we have here on the. Uh, all the podcast feeds and on the uh, North South connection here. But again, thank you, Ryan, for coming in and covering this week of WWE TV with me in this roof of aggression era. As we uh, continue through 2003, I will be back in two weeks as we continue on the road to no way out. And we'll see if Stone Cold Steve Austin will show up and we'll see um, uh, how this Hogan and rock thing goes in as well as all these other threads we have going. So I'll see you next time in two weeks for some more ruthless aggression. See you later.